This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me. So from princes to Bond villains to iconic Sopranos characters, from Broadway to screen to dark to light and back again. My guest this week, Billy Magnuson, is talented, versatile, and having quite a year. It was so interesting to get to talk to him. At 36, Billy Magnuson has already played a bunch of roles seeped in pop culture lore. He played O.J. Simpson's infamous neighbor, Cato Kalin, in An American Crime Story. He starred in the CBS soap opera As the World Turns and as Prince Anders in Disney's live-action adaptation of Aladdin directed by Guy Ritchie. Just recently, he played the young Polly Walnuts in the Sopranos prequel The Many Saints of Newark, a character immortalized by Tony Sirico on the HBO masterpiece. And he just played the Bond villain Logan Ash in Daniel Craig's last go-around as James Bond on Carrie Fukunaga's critically acclaimed No Time to Die. And now he has a couple of premieres coming up next week. Magnuson is starring in the powerful HBO film The Survivor. The movie, based on true events by award-winning director Barry Levinson, portrays the life story of Harry Haft, played by Ben Foster, a boxer and Holocaust survivor forced to participate in gladiatorial-like boxing spectacles. Magnuson plays Nazi officer Diedrich Schneider, who puts Haft in the ring to fight his fellow prisoners. Harry Haft, I'm a journalist. I covered your fight. I'm interested in your story. Everybody knows my story. I'm the survivor of Auschwitz. To fight until one man can no longer get up. Hands up! Hands up! Survivor premieres on April 27th on HBO in recognition of Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Magnuson is also premiering with another very different project on HBO, the highly anticipated season two premiere of the sci-fi dark comedy Made for Love. Here, Billy Magnuson plays Byron Gogol, a controlling tech billionaire who's fitted his wife, played by Christine Milioti, with a tracking device in her brain. Billy Magnuson, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Christina. Uh, this is really uh, exciting. Like, I was looking up your what you do in your podcast and stuff like that. That's a, This is amazing. What you've oh, achieved. thank you so much. I was thinking Magnuson could be Scandinavian. It is. Uh, Magnuson is Norwegian, but my mom's side is all Lithuanian. So I'm like 50% Lithuanian, but the name is, uh, yeah, Norwegian. Norwegian. So you're a bit of everything. A little bit of mud, yeah. 
we've seen you forever, but this past year seems to have been absolute nonstop with the Bond movie, with the iconic Polly Walnuts. Um, you have two premieres coming up that we're going to talk about, and you're already back filming. Where am I speaking to you from? I'm actually in beautiful Belfast, Ireland. Uh, beautiful day today. The sun's out and it is gorgeous. It's so funny you say like I've been have so many things coming out this year and it's like all these projects I've done like three, four years ago. So it's so, it's so wild. Oh my gosh, the COVID, the monstrosity that was. So Over the years, there's been a common thread talking to a lot of people I've had on the show, awards winners and actors and writers, and um, they've referred to this as the one school that prepared them for Hollywood, one of the most valuable beginnings. And I was so curious if this so was... Operas? Yes, because you graduated from that school as well. And I keep hearing yeah. this. Was it for you? Yeah, I have to, uh, I did not realize the blessing. Again, I went to a wonderful uh, theater school called uh, North Carolina School of the Arts, where I was taught class classically trained theater kind of actor and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm using soap opera school as a met just a metaphor, of course. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I, I was going into this, this whole diatribe about it. Like, so you're at school, you know, you're paying to be there and you're learning all these techniques and all this, these ways of approaching things, Stanislavski, blah, 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 you know, Meisner. But then it's not until you are like, I got the fortunate opportunity to be cast um, on As the World Turns, where, you know, there's stake now. There's actually... You, you have to be, you're a professional now. It like, it, it forces your hand and you have to actually do the job. And the truth is no one gives a crap what you study or your method or whatever. You have to show up, do the job for the day and go home. Like that was what was um, the, the exciting part about it. It was like, oh, you're, you're tossed into the pit. You're into the arena and you have to fend for yourself and see if you could do it. And I understand the work ethic is just unbelievable. The amount of dialogue, you know, both for writers and for actors. Yeah, I don't know if I have the best work ethic, but I just had to do my <laughs> job, you know. <laughs> you know, waking up, uh, what was I, like 22, 23 years old in New York City, you would have to learn 30 pages, 30, 40 pages in a night, uh, show up at 4 a.m. and uh, do, do your jobs, hit your mark and say your lines. And it was... It really was. It forces you to uh, train and it really like trains the muscle of memorizing and hitting the spot. It, it was great. I loved it. And also you had like with so much dialogue and so many long scenes because long scenes don't really happen that often in film. You know? I loved it. And you also have to sell a character who it's making some very strange choices in life often going from evil <laughs> to bad to back again and often your twin is here <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah i mean that was. must be a muscle but, too yeah but that i think that's the the fun part of this profession is using your imagination it's uh my buddy Corey stole i heard him do an interview once and this point he brought up of we're in this profession where we have to be uh have imagination and play like children and have this freedom and liberation to explore and jaunt around the playground, but at the same time, be professional mm -hmm. and keep it all serious. So it's this weird uh, space we live in. It's, it's, it's a really crazy, uh, crazy structure to be in. And like, you, you see people lose their shit all the time. So 
Yeah, well, not you, right? Oh, no, I've, I've lost my mind so many times over and over again. Uh, the point is to try to find it again, right? You can go from playing Cato Kalin to a couple of princes to, you know, a Bond evil uh, henchman. How easy is this for you? Um, I actually, I'm working with a wonderful, wonderful actor right now, Vincent D'Onofrio. And we were having, we were just talking shop the other night over a drink and we both came to really agree. And he, he brought it up more that all the answers are already in the script. It's already there. It's in the... It's on the page, especially if it's well-written. You, you don't have to go crazy or out of this world or anything. The, your answers all lie in the script that's in front of you. And I think the problem is people sometimes forget they're telling a story or sharing a story. And they get so self-involved where they forget they're a part of a, a bigger picture, mm -hmm. you know? Especially that's how I felt like coming to The Survivor. Uh, you know, it was a nasty, I play a Nazi in it, and this nasty, nasty character. But in the context of the story, he had to be an adversary to um, Harry Haft, uh, Ben Foster, beautifully played it. I had to be the biggest disgusting adversary for this character. So it was all there. And the more I dove into that, the, the more I felt secure in showing up every day with the work, you right. know? It's a tough line to, like, it, it, it's, it's so funny talking about this character because I think I made this character which is so deep and so many layers and so it was exciting, but it's hard to celebrate or, you know, be excited about creating such a monster, you know? But, like, the work's there. No, I want to get into that because I thought that was an incredible performance. And I th Thank you. Wasn't it? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. George R.R. R. Martin, who said, no one knows they're the villain in their own story. I mean, uh, he I might, I, I, it, it was him because I steal it all the time. I, yeah. I change it. I say, everyone's the hero in their own story. Everyone believes they're the hero. And what's a nice Norwegian-Lithuanian boy doing playing Polly Walnuts? Uh, it was an amazing opportunity. Like, I love that I got the chance to do such a thing like that. Um, you know, I, they, I'm not going to say this, but I grew up in New York City in Queens, and I, make, I can make some good Italian meals. I grew up with a lot of Italians. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit in my blood. Um, yeah, it, it, I had auditioned for a different role in the film, and then um, David Chase came to me and asked if I would be interested in playing Pauly. And like, with the guidance of David and the script and uh, what the wonderful work Tony uh, Cicero had done, you know, I I formed this character. We did the prosthetics, the mannerisms, and uh, just dove into it. Yeah. Were you familiar with The Sopranos? Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have, I couldn't afford HBO growing up. So, and especially being a college kid when it was actually out, I was definitely not buying HBO. So I did not 
really watch it. It wasn't until I, I had the opportunity to start working on uh, creating Polly that I watched it and fell in love with it. I mean, it, it's a magical, magical piece. I, it transformed, I want to say, television, uh, or it was the, you know, that and what was the other one? It was HBO where it became a where each episode led into the next next one. The Wire. Uh, the Wire. Yes, The Wire. You're exactly right. They both created that 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 format, which like continued stories, and you could go long long format with these characters and really dive into them. And people love that. I do. Everyone I've talked to says that Tony very much is Polly Walnuts. Did you get a chance to talk to him? <laughs> yeah, I got to meet him on set once, and that that's the you know addressing Polly Walnuts you really had to find out who Tony was so like that was the game in uh in really creating Polly it was like Tony was bringing so much of himself to the character so I was looking at interviews and who Tony was and I get the hand gesture where he does both the index finger and the pinky yeah (laughs) but I understand the idea of the manicure in the movie is yours I had a limited room or territory you want to say for creating stuff and like as an artist you try to paint the best picture you can in the time you have um yeah i was just like why not i mean that was a big thing in the that time period too and it felt completely right for that character yeah the jacket and the manicure that he would you know you don't have the wings yet but (laughs) i know no don't have the gray yet surprisingly i mean (laughs) but um as daunting a pop cultural icon as that is even more massive weight i I guess is bond right um and this is the second time around that you worked with carrie fukunaga um who you had worked with on maniac before love that minute Harder to tell the good from bad, villains from heroes these days. We used to be able to get into a room with the enemy. Now they're just floating in the ether. But tell me a little about getting ready for a Bond movie. I wouldn't say it was daunting. (laughs) It's not the word. It's excitement. Again, like, there should be no difference in approaching an off-off-off-Broadway show and approaching Bond. You're still creating the character. You're finding your place in the story. It wasn't until like, honestly, it came out that I felt the pressure. Again, I was going to work with a buddy again mm-hmm. and just uh, shoot a film, which is what I, you know, I kind of love doing. It was really, really exciting, you know, be like, wow, I get to be a part of this, this world and yell at Carrie, be like, let me fight Bond. Um, <laughs> oh. Logan Ash is not your typical henchman. Um, another one who thinks he's a hero, right? Yeah, I think he drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I think he drank the Kool-Aid and thinks he's trying to save the world, actually. You know, he's part of the church of, um, now I can't think of Rami's character. But yeah, he, he thinks he's actually helping in a way. So again, he thinks he's doing the, the right thing. Yeah, I, I think I come from the school of like, you always want to make the farthest choice like I know a has to happen in in the story so what is the farthest choice I could set it up from there I want to be so far away from what you think or what's supposed to happen um because that always makes me exciting like with comedy or drama you want to be so far away and then be devastated be like how did we get here and I think that's like um 
the fun in finding the connection between the two. Could you describe what you mean? Um, like I think of Aladdin and I think of Prince Anders and like, uh-huh. you know, someone who has opulence and everything and he's a prince and he walks into the room and then, you know, it's the character is so stupid to a guy like this all the time, you know? And like, again, you show such a presence of grandeur and then you just undercut it completely. And that's, that's kind of, I, I love that. Cause that's truthfully like, how I see the world with so many people, they present themselves uh, such a way on the outside. Then you get to meet them and you're like, oh, that's not you at all. You're actually something else. But someone who to really present himself the way he is, that's Byron Gogol. <laughs> oh, Byron. Turtleneck tech genius of the HBO Max dark comedy Made for Love, which is starting its second season next week. Now, um, Vulture described this character as a douche of many colors. <laughs> oh, <Tell> God. <laughs> did you model him on? Did you study the tech geniuses around us? No, I did not. I actually think Alyssa Nutting uh, really created a story about love and relationship between men and women and the different understanding of how they operate together. So Byron, like men, I think singularly focused at points and very focused on one thing at a time as women are able to multitask very easily this is a guy who has to have structure everything is in place everything's on task but with love it's ethereal it's it's a dance it's movement so yeah you put a man in a situation where everything has structure but then to deal with uh, his partner and and love he's lost the circuits don't add up it's it's a man that's confused and, and like he's just trying the hardest he can to be like, no, make sense of everything. Second, he is better. We're leaving. I know. I just want to know how long I have to keep up this charade for. 12 weeks. 12 weeks. I can do it to 12 weeks. As of today, my brilliant wife Hazel is going to take a more active role in the hub. Are you ready for us, Mrs. Gogol? Mr. Mrs. Gogol, welcome to DC. Mrs. Gogol, did your husband put a chip in your head? Don't speak. But it's not just lost. I mean, it's even darker than that. There's a lot of toxic masculinity in this character. What is this toxic masculinity? I'm actually against this term. I think there is not against this term, I think there is some disgusting toxic masculinity, but I think that puts uh, men and women at odds. And I think we're we're literally creating adversaries between men and women. And I'm, I'm kind of like tired of it, to tell you the truth. But if, if my husband would put a chip in my head, I wouldn't say- Yeah, that. okay, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm talking a different thing. Yeah. I think that's absolutely <laughs> fucking crazy and absurd and stuff like that. And yes, I would not even describe that as toxic masculinity. I would say that's insecurity and psychopathic, you know? Yeah, so I don't know. So I'm getting off topic. What are we ex- gonna expect in, in season two? Uh, I think we, we learn we learn more at what's at stake for each character and uh, their solidifying relationships of what's truly pure about each character and what they're, the, who they are purely. 
We're just going to find out more of the pure form of these these characters. I think, uh, you know, using uh, sci-fi and dark comedy as a, a real way, don't get me wrong, I think there's definitely in a tech world we live in now, you know, uh, things are very relatable and feeling like you're being watched or followed through these phones and the, the social media. And like, there is not this sense of independence anymore. I, and I think she just uses comedy and uh, sci-fi to express uh, real human emotions, which, you know, I think it's a great, great uh, veil to put in front of a, a love story. Because at the end of the day, I do think these are two people trying to, I think this guy, Byron, is really trying to save his relationship with his wife. And I think, you know, that makes me sad. So moving on, in honor of Holocaust Remembrance Day, um, The yes. Survivor is going to premiere on April 27th. Mm-hmm. And it has an incredible cast. Yourself, Vicky Creeps. Wonderful. Danny DeVito, John Liguizamo, Peter Sarsgaard, and of course, Ben Foster, who's incredible in it. Directed by Barry Levinson. Variety called it the the director's best film in years, um, which is pretty incredible coming from a guy who did, you know, Good Morning Vietnam and The Natural. Great man. So could you describe who Harry Haft was? Like, so many poor souls that got trapped inside World War II was put into a concentration camp. And um, Harry Haft was forced to fight other Jews in boxing matches to the death for the entertainment of the officers. And he did it to survive. And that alone is devastating, the monstrosity that that is. Barry created a story about PTSD and how do you live a life knowing what you have done, and what you've been through just to survive. Ben Foster's performance is, oh God, I, it's everything. It's the human spirit um, and the tragedy that this man uh, had to live is overwhelming and emotional. I'm like getting I'm sorry, I'm actually getting very... Uh... It's a very, very powerful movie. Could you talk a little bit about how you and Barry discussed Schneider? How you approached him? Um, this man also, in a sense, was trying to survive as well. He was an educated officer that knew the Nazis were going to lose the war. Germany was going to lose the war. And he was looking for an escape afterwards. How is he going to live his life? Um, he latched onto Harry Half and trained him to be a boxer and an entertainer. And I think it was two men agreeing to get through some atrocities in um, the most horrific way. It was basically like we kept using the term, it was Diedrich Snyder. Again, like this character is horrible. It's a horrible guy, but he trained Harry Half to be his, you know, his fight, his, he basically did dog fights and it was his pet. And he said it and loved it, but abused it at the same time. So it's this weird, emotional, it's crazy. He has a line or you have a line, Harry Haft says to him, you killed him after a particularly horrible match. And he says, it wasn't me, it's a machine. He's separating himself from it, yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like he, he's he's not a he, he's a very uh, knowledgeable man and very educated, knowing again the fate and the, the the ending circumstances that are coming. That's what I found so wild about Dietrich Schneider. And you talked a little bit about that at the top of the show, but playing this kind of evil, do you go in protecting yourself as an actor? Uh, do you mind elaborating? If, you know, going into a role which is so steeped in historical horror as, as a Nazi is, um, do you somehow, you know, protect yourself or coming out of the role, can you just let it go? Or Oh, I, it's a very interesting. I've never thought of it in terms like that, to tell you the truth. Um, I do remember showing up the first day and we're at a concentration camp and just being like, you know, you're, you're, you're frozen. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, this, this existed, you know, and it, it's, it's jaw dropping and it shouldn't be forgotten. I remember when we first started shooting, it was me and Ben were the start of the film. We, we went to Budapest and shot and, you know, he had lost all this weight. And so we were doing all those scenes first. And it wasn't until we kind of finished our section where Ben started eating again and um, we had a drink. And I saw this guy and it was like, we just went on a journey, bro. You know, it was just, I didn't know Ben until we were done, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, and I, I, I wish I protect myself. The protection came through honoring the story and keeping the integrity to the story. And like having that drink with Ben once we were done with that, I was like, okay, we did it. Let's put it. Say goodbye. I mean, we must never forget. I mean, we're in a moment like this again, you know, seeing Ukraine and what's going on. Stories like this need to be told. Did you learn anything? You were mentioning that he separates himself from the evil, the machine, as he calls it. But did you learn anything about humanity and evil and getting into this character? Yeah, I think it makes you aware of, again, he was able to say, oh, I'm separate from the machine. That's privilege. And it's easy for someone that's privileged to go, fine. I think, you know, we're all experiencing a human existence. Um, and some of us, you know, start a little ahead of the others. And what are you hoping that people will take away from this movie in this moment that we're in? I think, again, that the story is about PTSD and that we all carry. We carry things. You don't know what someone else is carrying. So just read someone with respect. Let's go back to you because I asked you that you were in Belfast. This this got so dark. I can't talk about that. We're going to lighten it up now (laughs) here towards the end. I mean, you you go in your career from light to dark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. What are you doing in Belfast? Yeah, we're doing this film called Lift. Uh, It's a heartbeat production uh, in association with Netflix. And it's this fun heist film, you know. I actually, it's funny, like Lift, uh, I was in London or even here in the in the UK and Northern Ireland. Uh, and you say Lift and they're like, an elevator? And you're like, <laughs> oh, it's a slang for stealing. And it's just funny to have to explain that. Um, yeah, so it's this fun heist film working with, you know, Ursula, Yoongi, Kevin Hart, Vincent D'Onofrio, Goo Goo, you know, uh, and of course, F. Gary Gray, fantastic director. Wonderful, wonderful ensemble. And I, I, I'm very lucky to, you know, you, you, it's funny, through this career, 
you can't really like plan on anything or like make things happen. You could just hope to work with such um, bright, uh, loving people, you know, where it's not about ego and it's about the project. And it, it's really, it's been really cool to uh, meet this gang and like uh, play with them. It's funny, every project that has come my way has somehow been necessary in my development. You know, looking back in retrospect, I'm like, oh my God, every project has meant something to me deep, you know, and developed me uh, as who I am. So I was curious why you moved back to Georgia recently. I didn't really move back to Georgia. My family's there. Uh, my parents, I got, I got a house there with them and my, my grandma's coming uh, to, uh, uh, I love my grandma and I have to mm. take care of her. I have to take care of her. Um, Your so grandma's from Lithuania, right? Yeah, who had to escape the Russian invasion then. So family is really important. Um, I, I, I don't, I live in Belfast right now, but, um, yeah, I just found I have wonderful, wonderful friends in Los Angeles. It's, honestly, I haven't had a home since 2018. You know, I always lived in New York. Um, around 2018, I was just been fortunate enough constantly working. But yeah, it was just where I could put my stuff and I had family. And when you go back to Georgia, I know you're always gone and you're always working, but what does a day look like in your life there? Oh my gosh, it's the best. Mm -hmm. I live on a lake. I wake up, I make a cup of coffee. I would go and water my plants and talk to them. I have a garden <laughs> and I grow like everything to make a salad. Um, and I just talk to my plants and then I'll go for a swim or a paddle, jog, have lunch with my family, play golf. It's a relaxing life. It's a very simple, gentle life. And my brothers are close too. But I, my favorite part is that cup of coffee and watering my plants. That sounds amazing. Billy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much to Billy Magnuson. The Survivor premieres on HBO Max on April 27th and Made to Love on April 28th. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.